All right, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint is the network built for unlimited with great deals on great devices every single day. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend David Locke. Hi, David. Hi, guys. How are you? We're great, man. Uh, can you believe it? Media Day is Monday. That's amazing. It's so close. Yeah, I really stressed out today. I'm way behind. I'm not where I want to be. I'm really nervous. So, okay, there we go. Now that the play-by-play anxiety is out, now that you're aware of that, we can continue with the conversation. Wait a minute. That, that brings up an interesting question to me. Do you get nervous before a game, uh, David? Every game. Nothing better. I, I get nervous before every single game. And is that positive energy that uh, drives you forward? And uh, Well, I think it makes me prep. Right, I never am confident that I'm going to know enough going into a game, so I'm hoping that that's what leads to good preparation. Um, so that would be my that would be where I would hope it's uh, helpful. Um, I'm sure I over prep a little bit out of anxiety, but um, yeah, no, I get nervous and amped and fired up a little bit before every single game. David, I, I, an attendant question there. I I know that you uh, kind of root for the Jazz. Uh, you're a Jazz employee. What, what kind is your favorite? Would you rather call a game where the Jazz are are crushing an opponent, or would you rather call a game that is tight right down to the last possession, but the Jazz are in jeopardy of losing the game? Um two different emotions. So the best game I've ever called in my life, at least in my opinion, was the Oklahoma City game this year. Um, I just happened to be good that night, and that was that double overtime game right out of the All-Star break. Um, so we lost, so that sucked. Um, but it was def- from a broadcast standpoint, I think that's the best night I've ever had. I happened to then suck for the next two weeks after that, but that's a different story because I tried to recreate whatever happened that night, and I couldn't do it because nothing happened. I just happened to call a good game, and then I screwed with my head for the next week, two weeks. Um, so... You know, and then I sucked for a while. Um, you know, I'm pretty, at this point, I, I don't actually think I'm supposed to be unbiased. I think I'm supposed to be the conduit of a fan. I, I think I'm awfully close with numerous members of this coaching staff and care about them a great deal as people and their families and their wives and their kids and all those kind of things. And so, you know, I understand the work they're putting in and the energy. Um, and then I admire our players. I never try to think that I'm ever close to our players. I think that's a real misnomer, but I, you know, I've known them for a long time and I feel like I admire them and understand how hard Rudy works and who Donovan is as a person and what they're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, there's no question that I'm overly interested in them winning every night. And if we ever win a title, I will Larry H. Miller all over the place. <laughs> David, uh, in uh, the past few times we've had you on, you've you've broken down nicely how uh, in the past Coach Schneider has schemed around deficiencies offensively and done a really great job uh, doing it. So with some of those deficiencies addressed, how different do you think the offense is going to look this year and how? Well, I, do, I think it's a great question, Jake, and I, I, I'm really curious to watch training camp to see how, if they are at all different. I mean, on one level, the Jazz are one of the few teams in the league that between 4 and 7 in the shot clock are about as good as they are between 7 and 14 on the shot clock. There aren't, there aren't many teams in the league that actually do both of those things. So, you know, they, they get into their system and play advantage basketball, and it works. So why change it? But on the other end, they probably could, you know, take a few earlier. They have talent. 
you know, Boyan is he? Boyan gets a lot of possessions in transition. Like if he's not having as good a year as we expect, I, I will. I would guess it's going to be because he's not getting the same transition opportunities he got. So how do you make sure he gets those? And so maybe you've got to let a little freedom go where these guys get early and they get a guy one on one, and he just you know if Boyan has the wrong guy trying to defend him open floor and transition early in a possession, he's just going to beat him. Like he's just bigger and stronger and going to beat him and get to the basket and get an easy look and. If he can do that, then, you know, why are you – why why run a whole set? So, you know, Mike Conley isn't, wasn't, at least in Memphis, a transition player. Will he be here? Can Donovan not have to handle as much, get out a little more? Um, I think there's some tricks to, to how to leak out a little bit more than they have in the past, and we'll see if they do that. David, I know you're an analytics guy. Is there a stat that you're looking forward this year to, to tracking – that you think is the most important of all for jazz success? So, yeah, I think the question about the jazz is, so the jazz had, there's a, it's a, it's a stat that they now keep uh, in regards to whether or not, you, you know, an average player took the shot, right? So how open were you? Where's the shot on the floor? Um, and so it's the quality, it's, it's quantified shot quality. Um, it's not generally open to the public, but it's out there. Uh, that stat, the Jazz led the league last year. Well, did they lead the league because it was Jay Crowder, Ricky Rubio, and Derek Favors, and nobody cared if they were open? Um, or did they lead the league in that because Quinn Snyder is a basketball mastermind and that the Jazz were on the best offense of any team in the NBA? Um, if you have an answer to that, I would be really curious to know what you think. Um, so with that said, which, you know, which was it? And um, if it is in fact that the Jazz offense creates that many opportunities for guys, and now you're moving from Jay Crowder, who shot, I think it was nine percentage points below what an average player would have done with the same shots, to Boyan Bogdanovich, who shot six percentage points better than the average player would have with the shots he got last year. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, so that would be one. And then the really simple, most obvious one is, are we still good defensively? Like, not good. Are we still great defensively? You know, it was Rudy Gobert, really Ben Wallace, Dikembe Mutombo, Hall of Fame level, to the point in which we are still a top five defense all by himself. Because we used to be long and big and fearsome, and we are now small and little and talented. And then we've got the monster in the middle. And so, you know, it's not just losing Derek Favors. It's Ricky Rubio 6'4 to, to Mike Conley 6'1. Um, it's, you know, it's Favors to, to, to Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, or Jeff Green starting there. Those are, those are very different sized players. Um, I am a believer in secondary rim defenders. There aren't a lot of them in the NBA, but we had one. And so when you can beat somebody, you know, you pull Rudy out and then beat him and a second guy comes over, that's pretty unique. We don't have that anymore. Um, and then I guess the second question is if, you know, you're playing Dallas and Rudy's on Chris Dapps and they've pulled him out and who's rebounding. So are we still a good defensive rebounding? 
David Locke is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, David, uh, a really important storyline from last year that emerged, and I don't know if it was talked about enough because I think it was it was super important, but Rudy Gobert turned into an offensive weapon. And I know we've seen that journey uh, and, and the pick and roll with the, the dunks, but, I mean, he, he was truly somebody that you had to game plan for uh, when you were putting together your defensive game plans because his offense was – uh, that uh, dominating at times with that with that pick and roll, and when you were talking about the FIBA World Cup, I heard you talking about Rudy and how France was willing to dump the ball down into him and let him go to work a little bit. Do you think that that's something that we will see at all with the Jazz and Rudy this year? So, I mean, there's two things. This one, if you have the internet in front of you, I wouldn't mind you reading something to me in a minute, and that would be if you didn't mind. Um, pulling up what ESPN wrote about Rudy, Tim McMahon, who does great work, wrote about Rudy in um, the NBA rankings. I want, you, I want to read it to you. It made no sense to me. Um, I've so got it right share. here. If, I've got it right now if you so, want it. So, so we'll get to that in a second. The other aspect of Rudy, the negative thing, is outside three feet, he shot 31% last year and 29% the year before. So that when we're playing the Milwaukee Bucks and they drop Brooke Lopez all the way back to the rim and he just stands at the rim and there's always a player between Rudy and the rim, he has a terrible night. And so how can Rudy, he doesn't have to become a jump shooter, he's got to become feasible, 45% maybe is all, that if somebody puts a smaller guy or somebody's in between him and the basket and he's at four feet, can he become just enough that he makes one more field goal like that every few games. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just one of those. And not be 45% instead of – he's not going to be 50%. Most of the league's not even 40%, but just not 31 or 29%. So that's the issue on Rudy's offense. Um, find a move. Find one move that you're going to use there. And, and if it's not there, then dish it out. It doesn't have to be a lot of – it doesn't have to be a great deal of sophistication. Now read me that passage because it made no sense to me. All right, here it is. Uh, Tim says, can Gobert add to his offensive game? The two-time defensive player of the year is a weapon in a limited offensive role, leading the league in screen assists, six per game, field goal percentage, uh, 66.9%, and dunks, 306 in 2018-19. He'll never be a go-to post-up threat, but it'd be a major plus if Gobert could reliably punish smaller defenders on switches, even when he doesn't get to the rim, as he did in France's win over over Team USA at the FIBA World Cup. Okay, so Tim's like 99% right, and I'm just going to pick on him a little bit because he's a good friend and I like him. Like, three or six dunks. That's an offensive player. Like, I agree he can't post up, and I agree he's got to do what we just talked about, but 306 dunks is not a limited offensive player. It's the most of anyone in the NBA. We gave the guy with 297 the freaking MVP for doing it. Right? Giannis won the MVP for 290-some on dunks. Because he didn't have a jump shot either. So it's a a mystery to me that we still call the leading field goal percentage guy in the league um, a a non-offensive player. I I got the limitations. But... If everybody could dunk 300 times a season, they would, and they can't. 300! That's four a game. 
I like that, David. I like that observation. And if you, I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but if you're going to define an offensive player with uh, sort of these uh, mainstream ideas, then Carl Malone really wasn't all that much of an offensive player either because he used to be fed the ball in the low post over and over again. So uh, he did develop that, that jumper, but uh, he wasn't like he was. We did this to the most, the most dominating offensive player of that generation. We did the same thing to Shaq. Shaq's not really an offensive player. He can only dunk. <laughs> All right, because he's so big and so strong and so mobile that you actually can't guard him, so he dunks. Because when you played Nerf Hoop against your little brother, what you did all the time was dunk, because that's what you could want to do in every single possession. I've said this a hundred million times, but if Mike D'Antoni and the Houston Rockets could dunk every possession, they wouldn't shoot a three. David, uh, Will you explain to our listeners, those who are casual basketball fans but don't know the the inner workings of of uh, possessions, how is Mike Conley going to help the Jazz? That's a great question. I've been asking everyone this question um, this summer on the summer interview series, trying to get the answers to everybody. Um, I actually am leaning toward the other way, Gordon. I'm leaning toward how the Jazz are going to help Mike Conley. <laughs> And what I mean by that is Mike, the last wing player that Mike Conley could play with, that played with, who could dribble and shoot and would occasionally pass, was 2011 Rudy Gay. He's been playing with Tony Allen, can't dribble, can't pass, can't shoot. Chayshon Prince, can't dribble, barely, kind of can shoot, doesn't pass. Because he just, is, that's not his job. Last year was Avery Bradley, along with... An injured Chandler Parsons and Garrett Temple. Like, he never played with Donovan Mitchell. Now, I don't know how he's going to figure that out, and maybe he's not going to like it, frankly. Um, he never played in a system where he ever gives the ball up. Might he's not had, like, why would you have Mike Conley give the ball up? He, it's a little bit of how I feel about, like, Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum uh, on the Blazers last year when people are saying, well, they're last in the league in assists, right, because Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu can't pass. So if you give them the ball, they shoot. So you don't want to do that because they can't shoot either. Like that's Memphis has had nobody who can dribble, pass, or shoot playing with Mike Conley. So what's it going to be like for Mike Conley to suddenly be able to give it up, go around, get it back? Like he never used to be able to do that. He used to have to play a two-man game with Marcus All, where they did handoffs the only day because Marcus All was the only guy on the team that was could pass. So I think it's going to be incredible. Now, how does Mike Conley? I think. This is an interesting observation by a really bright basketball mind, and I had not thought of this before. Their viewpoint of Ricky Rubio is that Ricky Rubio on a given night could do one or the other. He could either be the really aggressive scorer or the distributor. There was a, you know, Quinn created a triple-double for him in Oklahoma City during the playoffs, but generally he was one or the other. Um, and if you kind of think through his time, right, and in, in the World Cup, he's great because he's just the aggressive scorer. That's all he's supposed to be on that team. They don't have other scores, so he just goes and does it. Mike Conley can switch that throughout a game. And, in fact, talking to J.B. Bickerstaff, his former coach, he said Conley's incredible because he's not only the best teammate you've ever had and one of the best character guys you've ever had, but he's going to go into every single game 
conscious of what his teammates need. And then when it's the fourth quarter, he becomes a bona fide beep beep. And you know what you want in the fourth quarter is a bona fide beep beep. And that's what's going to be interesting is I think Conley can get Donovan going if he's in a slump or get Joe some early shots or get Boyan a shot or get Rudy two dunks if he needs it on a given night. And then when it's 92-92, my time. And then that gives Donovan a break and everything else. The other one is that Mike Conley last year had a great year. Sorry, I'm, I'm beginning to prep. I'm ready. Sorry, you got too much stuff going through my head. Um, and I don't have this top of my head, but Mike Conley, I did Conley last night, so this is, you, you're running into it. Um, so Mike Conley averaged 21 points a game last year, had pretty good efficiency numbers. In the final seven seconds of the shot clock last year, I think he used 23% of his possessions and shot 32%. Because nobody else on that team could handle a late possession, and he will have the freedom now of having multiple guys who can do that in a system that gives you an advantage when you have the ball. He could be great. He will be great. You want to know another one on Mike Conley? Sure. Unguarded catch and shoot. 98th percentile. Mm. Jake. Jake. Uh, yes, sir. You call your wife. <laughs> she can explain to you what the 98th percentile of things are. <laughs> my she saw it on numerous report cards. You may never have seen it on a report card. <laughs> oh, nice that's burn, a fact. David. That nice. Is, hey, that's not a burn. That's a fact, man. <laughs> David, one last question I have for you. and it's, it, I'll it's give related. you one more novel as an answer. It, it, it's related <laughs> to what you've been talking about here, I think. But Quinn, one of his gifts, in my opinion, is that he creates an environment of unselfishness. And I know a coach can't do that if the players aren't willing to come along. But how is, how is he doing this? And when I look at the characters that will be involved on this year's team, I, I see that they will come along with it. What are your thoughts? Um, so when you say one of Quinn Snyder's gifts, the first thought I had was like, how do you find a list long enough? Um, but I am a full member of the cult of Quinn. I mean, I just think he's one of the most remarkable humans I've ever met. Um, so, you know, a side note there. Um, the, I don't have an answer for you, quite honestly, Gordon. And if you happen to listen to Locked on Jazz today, this is my number one concern of the season. And I'm not as optimistic as you are about it. I think there's a chance this goes awry. Um, this is my concern. This is if I'm worried about the Jets. So Mike Conley is the easy one. You say, yeah, it's cool. He's 32. He's on a good team for the first time. He'll give up some shots. Okay. Okay. Fine. Let's say he gives up three shots from what he took last year. He averaged 21 points a game last year. I bet he liked that. But he, so let's say he gives up three shots a game. There's three. Okay, good. Donovan want to give up shots? No. Probably. Right? Donovan is the... If I could raise a, if my 17-year-old son could be like Donovan Mitchell at 24 years old, I would be ecstatic. I think he's one of the most fabulous young men I've ever met in my life. He's just truly that great. And the other day he walked into the gym and I was reminded that he has it. He has the most incredible aura about him. He has a shoe. He has a shoe contract. He has a nation watching him. He has not been an all-star. He does not want to give up a bunch of shots. Fair? Fair. We agree? Mm-hmm. 
Boyan Bogdanovich, in the second half of the season last year, averaged 21 points a game, took 16 shots a game, and is this year, for the first time ever, ranked in the top 100 players of the NBA. I know it's neat to say he signed and he knew his role would be different, but I'm guessing he doesn't really want to go back to 11 shots a game after taking 16 in the second half last year. In fact, I think he wants to prove he can score 20 points a game again, and he should, and I'll bet he likes being 50th in the league in the ranked players. Okay, Jeff Green has averaged 27 minutes a game for the last three years in a row and gotten a lot, an average double figures in every single year of his career but one. Is he really ready to play 17 minutes and not average double figures for the first time in his entire career? This is a guy who, when I asked the other day, what do you want to get better at? He said everything from being a better person to all aspects of basketball. This is not someone who's settling. Rudy Gobert is yet to be an all-star. Rudy Gobert didn't get awarded for defense last year. Do you think Rudy Gobert wants to take less shots this year? Or do you think Rudy Gobert figures if he average, if I get three more shots and average 20 points a game, I make the all-star team? This is what happened to Boston last year. Now, we may have better character guys, and suppose, you know, Brad Stevens is a pretty dang good head coach, but this is exactly what happened to Boston last year. Boston had a, in their collective group, they had 125 possessions if, on average, and there's only 100 a game. And we're high on that number right now. Emmanuel Moutier, I know he came because his agent wants him to develop the game. I understand that he's not developed yet into this. He averaged 15 points a game last year. Is he really ready to play 12 minutes and take three shots? Because he took about a shot a minute last year. Not quite, but close. Right? He's, he's got to get paid next year. Royce O'Neal, the ultimate team player, total stud, is developing. He's so much better. I mean, he just looks great. He's been, in, he's been at the gym more than any player on the entire team. He took four shots a game last year. Is he, is he good with that? That's my concern on this team. If I were Quinn, exactly what, I, exactly if, what you said, Gordon, is yeah. Quinn Snyder's strength. If he can get this group to do it, it's going to be awesome. If I were but it's Quinn be hard. And, I were, and I was facing this kind of challenge, I would, I would say to my players, all of that is true except for winning is sweet. And winning a championship or going to, going to the NBA Finals, uh, there's a few things better than that. I know guys want to get paid, but – Competitively speaking, that might be enticing to some of these guys. But I don't think there's anything that I just said about any of those players in which they would be doing that and thinking that they were hurting the team. And that's, that's the trick. Yeah. If you ask Donovan why he's taking 19 shots a game, he'll tell you because he thinks he's helping the team. If you tell Rudy, Rudy Gobert why you're so much trying to get your next two shots, is it to make he, because he's well? If I dunk two more times, it helps the team. They all are good enough that they believe it will help the team, and they all want to help the team. And these guys are so great that their answer to helping the team is making the play. Every single player on Boston last year really thought to some extent they were helping the team, and they destroyed that team. This happens all the time. This happened in Minnesota. When Minnesota added Jeff Teague and Jimmy Butler and had Andrew Wiggins and had – Carl Anthony Townsend had Taj Gibson, who surprisingly uses 13 possessions a night. And everyone was so excited about that Minnesota team. I called it. I said, that's 135 possessions on average for that group. If you have 135 possessions, think about this for a second. It's not that each guy has to give up three. It's that each guy has to give up 30-plus percent. And when one guy doesn't give up his 30 percent, then you've got to give up 40 percent. David, we appreciate the conversation as always. We'll see you next Monday, man. 
Um, sorry. Just really ready to go. <laughs> Thanks, David. See ya. There's the voice, uh, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke with us. Get that guy a game to call quick. 97.5 and 12.8 of the zone.